Hello and welcome to the second episode of Series 2 of I Wish I Wrote That Song, the podcast where we talk to songwriters and artists about themselves, songwriting and a song they wish they wrote. They then play a cover of the song for us at the end of the episode. I'm Keith Wyatt. And I'm David Glover. What's happening this week, Keith? Some exciting awards news? Yeah, this week, I wish I wrote that song. Uh, sponsoring the UK Americana Music Association Awards. That's being filmed this week, and there's going to be performances from the likes of Lucinda Williams, The Long Riders. If you miss it this week, it'll be available on YouTube really soon. I wrote the words we haven't spoken in years. In this episode, we spoke to Canadian artist Jonas Benetta, who performs under the band name Evening Hymns. He also releases solo music under his own name. We spoke to Jonas at the end of 2021, just as he was about to start recording the follow-up to Evening Hymns 2020 album, Heavy Nights. We talked about the excitement of stereo microphones, field recordings, and of course, the song He Wishes He Wrote, a song by Heron, originally released in 1970. Head over to our website at I Wish I Wrote That Song for more episodes and Spotify playlists of the songs featured. Also, send us an email on hello at iwishiwrotethatsong.co.uk or message us on Instagram to give us feedback, suggestions of new episodes, and let us know the songs you wish you'd write. Welcome to I Wish I Wrote That Song with Evening Hymns. So hi Jonas, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing this morning? Well, it's not morning for, it's morning for me. <laughs> doing okay today. A little bit tired, didn't sleep so good, but what are you going to do? What have you been up to today so far? Just just getting the day started. I have a, a two-year-old and mornings are always just, I wouldn't say they're chaotic, but it's just trying to find time to quickly respond to emails and catch up on things before the day gets going. So it's nice though. The wood stove's going. It's quite, it's actually quite cool here in Ontario right now. So um, we've just been loading in most of our firewood for the winter. And it's that I was saying to my neighbor yesterday, it's that kind of nice time of year when there is still a nice novelty to be keeping the wood stove going. And then eventually once it's like the middle of January, you're just it's, it's life or death. Yeah. <laughs> Did you show as much in winter? Oh yeah. I mean, that's like a, that's a real rite of passage to, yeah. uh, you can kind of, you know, like I actually don't mind driving in the wintertime. I actually kind of like it, but you do pretty well if you, if you tour in the wintertime often because nobody else is. So like yeah. if you, if you, if you make the effort, oftentimes you're rewarded with people that are just excited to see shows because a lot of bands aren't on the road then. So I've got a buddy who toured quite a bit. He's from Canada, he's from um, Hamilton and he toured quite a lot and he had to stay in his car. He just said it's, it's so freezing. You just have to leave the. It's like slept in the car, have the heaters on all night. So it's a. Oh, I mean, I'm not doing. I'm not doing that. You're <laughs> in the Ritz, the Hilton. Yeah. No, no, no. But yeah, that definitely. Those days are long gone for me. Who's your friend in Hamilton? Uh, C. A. Smith. He used to do um, Maya Macar. Oh wow! Amazing. Where? So where are you guys exactly? I'm in Yorkshire, Sheffield, and I'm in Cornwall, down in the southwest. So, I think that's like Neil Halstead country, isn't it? Am I wrong? Yeah, it is. Yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah it's very close to here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. I'm such a big fan. Well, I was. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I was. I, I was really keen on doing a Mojave Three song for this too. But sorry, <laughs> this took so long because, like, I am just 
I am so indecisive. I had a list of like 15 songs <laughs> and, and, I, and I, was, I was just taking it too serious, I think. When we first started approaching artists, Jonas was actually, I think, in the top three or four, because I guess we'd already arranged with, and it took him so long to decide on the song. Uh, we almost became pen pals with where have we got to this week. Uh, and so, but he's made it into series two. So that's really very exciting. So uh, it's uh, just my excuse to get you, you guys to work out the kinks in season one. And then uh... <laughs> <laughs> we've not done that. Season two is going to be as equally as kinky. How long must I stare into? How long till I see the things I need? Cause I've been looking now for days, hoping that I... So, um, what are you up to musically? Oh, wow. Well, I've been living here for almost nine years, like with the, the house that we have here in the country. Um, and we're, we're kind of between Toronto and Montreal. And, and I was touring uh, really, really heavily. Until I moved here, basically, we were touring, I guess we were probably touring Quiet Energies, which is like the second last Evening Hymns record. And I was, in t I was on tour for three and a half months in Europe, which was the longest Evening Hymns tour we had ever done anywhere, actually. But just before I, just before I left on that tour, I found this little farmhouse. And I was pretty keen to move out of Toronto because I was spending all this time in cities. You know, I'd be in Berlin or London or Los Angeles or Montreal or that when I got back from tour, I didn't really want to be in a city. There was no need for it. You know, I was like getting all of this great cultural stimulation and like just hanging with tons of people when I was on tour. So when I, I really wanted to kind of settle down and, and, and get out of cities. So bought this little tiny humble farmhouse and I set up a studio here really quickly in this cabin that was on the property and friends just started coming out to make records there. And it, and it just, I, I kind of just started producing records just, just by chance really. And I'd always been recording. I, I mean, I've, I've tracked a bunch of the, a bunch of my own stuff over the years and, but I, I just kind of started buying equipment and, and, you know, oh, it'd be nice if we had a couple more microphones and I buy a couple mics and, and then upgrade, you know how it goes <laughs> and upgrade, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, upgrade stuff. And, and then I kind of, I got this opportunity to like build a bigger studio on the property. I, I was offered some funding to do that. So uh, I took out a big loan and built this separate building. And so I've been just producing records. Like that's been like my main musical output for the last, you know, three years, at least since I've built the new studio. I put out an Evening Hymns record last year called Heavy Nights that came out in, I think, like maybe June or something, June or July last year, and which was during the pandemic. So didn't really get to do anything at all. I didn't do anything for it. I didn't play a single. I mean, I got asked to play tons of streams and stuff of like that, but that wasn't really my thing. So, yeah, so I, I did that and that record, we finished mixing before the pandemic, which was great because 
that the mix process on that record was very intensive and and beautiful and like i just absolutely loved it and so i'm grateful i got to do that in person and then the record came out and and uh we just made videos and retweeted things <laughs> that was my <laughs> that was my big rollout and then uh yeah then i and I, then i've been writing for a new a new even hymns record and and i think i'm close to having a record maybe I, once i start and it starts to take shape then I'll write more for it once I know what the record's going to sound like. And once the A side and the B side start to come together and make some sense to me, then like with the last record, I had seven, well, I had probably 10 songs written. A few of them got cut as the record kind of became more of a piano based record. Some of the more guitars, the guitar songs got cut. And then I had seven songs and I was really happy with them. And then I was like, oh, I can't have seven songs on a record. I got to have, I can't have four, three songs on one side. That's, <laughs> outrageous so so i went back in the studio and wrote one more song the last song on the record halfway to the moon and um so i know that i can do that and it's arguably my favorite song on the record but that's kind of a fun process for me to to go you know what's what's missing what part of the story haven't i told yet and and what type of tone or like vibe do i want or, or do, do i need to kind of push a little bit more or something so Talking through a ton of tears This conversation still makes me feel young Now I'm crying in the bar Crying over us That album has such a vibe as well, The Heavy Nights Oh, thanks, man. Got such a feeling. I listened to it, and it just like time stops. Oh, thanks so much. I'm I'm so happy with it. It would have been really fun to tour. Like I, the the plan was to kind of go out with like bass drums and Rhodes piano and, and saxophone. So it would have been um, it would have been just this kind of nice compact thing. And you know, we talked about just being able to play out and improvise a little bit, and and which would have been unlike evening hymn shows in the past. So I was. I've changed a lot and, and I was really looking forward to doing something different live too, but it's also like, I've been so busy producing other people's records and that's my fit, like making the, making the creation aspect of making records is that's my favorite part of it. Yeah. Like I like putting the microphone up. I like getting the performance. I like, you know, mixing and messing about with it a lot more than I like sitting in a car with the heat on in Hamilton, sleeping in it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you do it all at your place then? I did, yeah. Well, we did probably, the sax was was recorded remotely by Joseph Shabison at his studio in Toronto. And then we mixed in Toronto at my friend Gavin Gardner's studio. He has a studio called All Day Coconut. When we were mixing, we I, I redid a couple vocals or I changed some lyrics. And so we, we, we redid some vocals. He had just got his hands on the C24 microphone. Oh, nice. Like he That's had just... Music. It's insane. So, so we were like just looking for a couple of reasons to use that. So we did like <laughs> stereo tambourines, <laughs> just ridiculous stuff. Just cause, just cause we could. And my sister, she, she was in from LA for like a couple of days and, and, and I was like, come in and sing on a track. So we added a few things at Gavin studio during the mix stage or just as the songs, as the mix changed, the attitude of the vocal was maybe just not sitting as good as it should have. So I retract like as Gav built these mixes up and we spent like 
a week and a half, two weeks mixing the record, which is, I think, pretty abnormal nowadays. But I had, I was like very fortunate to have a grant from uh, the Canadian government to to mix. So I was like, let's just take all the time that we need and and do this right. And it was, yeah, it was super meaningful for for me and Gavin to reconnect as friends because I live in the country now, but we like, we went pretty deep on those mixes, just like really trying things and failing and trying things. And, uh, I owe a lot of the, the sound of that record. A lot of it is, uh, is, is to, is to Gavin for sure. Mm. interesting that you talked about the record as being four songs on one side three songs on the other one of the things that's come out of some of the other or the theme almost that's come through a lot of the other episodes that we've done is artists still considering the structure of an album and like as you say you almost still think of it as a vinyl album two sides whereas so many people unfortunately listen to these things on streaming things on on shuffle etc and we've talked before about is the art of making an album as a physical thing almost is that how much is that getting lost or is it still in the minds of artists but maybe lost in a lot of the listeners yeah i mean i mean this is something that we're talking about every day in the studio a lot of people that have come to work here in the studio because of evening hymns always want like oh how what should we do or they they want like career advice and i'm like i i mean i don't know how you crack i just keep going like make a really cool video like maybe be naked, maybe be naked in it. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's important for us as artists to, to, to not think of the market. I mean, that's the thing I always say is when I'm in the studio, I'm like, are you, are you having fun right now? Yes. Do you think this sounds super badass? Yes. All right. Then that's all we can worry about. And yeah. you know, if, if, if you if you aren't enjoying it or it doesn't sound cool to you, like, I don't care if it sounds cool to, to like, the bands you listen to, does it sound cool to you? And if you feel really good about it, then like, you know, all we can do is just keep following that because it, because you can't, you can't, I mean, I know there's an algorithm and there's a lot of people that put a lot of chorus on their guitars to try and crack that algorithm, but it, it's realistically, it's like the stuff that makes it is just, it's kind of an anomaly. It's a, uh, there is an element of luck to it. So I feel like you, you do a disservice to your own craft. If you are trying to chase something that maybe isn't, genuine to you yeah if yeah. It, often if you're looking outward you're kind of too late already so you're just kind of going to follow your own path a hundred percent and like worst comes to worst you like with this record like with heavy nights it's like i mean i love it i think it sounds awesome and and i think it, i don't really know what else it sounds like and and i'm really proud of it and and we didn't tour it it didn't i mean i don't know if it did anything i, I don't even know what the sales were like but it's like it it uh i don't know in a lot of ways it would it would be considered unsuccessful compared to, you know, other records, like, you know, peers of mine that are like, you know, really successful in selling tons of records. But at the same time, it's like, because I still love it, it's fine. If I had made something that was derivative or um, that I wasn't happy with, but that I thought was kind of cool, then I, it would be a double loss. <laughs> 
Yeah, the point you start trying to write to a formula, then it sounds like it. Yeah, and I mean, we're all writing to a formula in a sense anyways, as far as like, you know, first chorus, first chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, or something like that. Yeah. Or like, you know, there, there's these things that are like built into our DNA that, that seem to be what everybody wants. And, and that's, I mean, I still am like, this song needs a bridge right here. And so it's never <laughs> like I'm opening with the bridge, you know. studio called it's called port william sound and so we have like a cabin here that's got a couple bedrooms and a kitchen and bathroom and all that stuff so bands come out and stay they like live on site and oh, that's the and dream. <clears throat> it is a dream i mean it's how it's how i wanted to make all of my records and so yeah. it, it just made sense for for us to develop something to especially like with what's happened in the last couple of years like just people being able to get outside and fresh air. We have windows yeah. in our studio that, you know, you see deer walking by constantly and fox and being somewhere without many distractions and just being focused on the art. It's just one of the best ways to make a record. I, I totally, I totally agree a hundred percent. And <clears throat> you're not going home and seeing your, you know, your, your telephone bill stuck to your fridge. You wake up in the morning in the woods and your job that day is only to make art, you yeah. know? So while you're having your coffee, you're an artist. And when you're having your breakfast, you're an artist. And when you walk from the cabin to the studio, you're an artist. And when we talk in the studio about the project, we're talking about art. And when you go back for a lunch, you're still an artist. And when you go to bed at night, you're, you pick up a book and you read some poetry because you're still in your, your artist mode. So everybody just makes so much more work when they're here because of that, because yeah, there's, there, there's no distractions, but you're also just like encouraged to like stay in it as long as possible, I think. So one other thing you've been doing recently is you've launched a podcast as well. I have, yeah. That was another, I mean, that came about because of the pandemic, actually. Like the the area that I live in, um, they at the beginning of the pandemic, they were kind of scrambling for ways to connect everybody, business business owners. Um, and me with the studio, I, I'm one of one of those people. So they're like, hey, would you like, in, and, they, and they know I have, the studio and technical equipment. So they're like, Hey, can you interview businesses about how they're surviving? And I was like, that no one's going to listen to that other than the person that I interview. Like, so, but I had this idea for a really long time to interview kind of the quirky, weird individuals that live in the area that I, whose stories I find really quite, you know, engaging to listen to. And so I kind of made a list of people and, and they were like, okay, hey, go for it. Like, um, I was like, if we can show people that there's all this, like, cause they want to find some way to like use it as like a economic development tool or something. So I was like, well, I'm going to make the weirdest economic development <laughs> podcast you, you've ever heard with tons of field recordings. And I created all new music for it. And, um, and I just interviewed people that I've met in the eight and a half years I've lived here that I, whose stories I thought were like really interesting in a, in a kind of an abstract way. So, um, so that's been super fun. We've launched like two episodes of that. It's called Out in the Field. And it's like, just, it's kind of, they're kind of telling stories and then I kind of cut them all together and, and make a lot of like kind of ambient, abstract, experimental soundscape and, and field recordings from the places, you know, I'd go out 
if they're talking about certain places, I would go to the site and like make recordings. And it's so much work. It's crazy amount of work. <laughs> it takes me forever to make a half hour episode, but uh, but I hope that they'll kind of stand the test of time. I'm kind of treating them like records, like wh- the way I mix them. I, um, you know, a lot of stuff's getting you know mixed with outboard gear, and like it's stupid. Now nobody knows, nobody cares, but me, I'm like <laughs> trying to like make it sound good. So, well, if it makes you feel better, it they do sound like a a Jonas Benetter album. Oh, that's um, amazing. And um, thanks. I think the production quality, as we talked about earlier, the production quality is amazing. Um, and I love the story about, um, I think it was a lady called Hope with a typewriter yeah. that she, with no ribbon. And she just uses, uh, she types her books out using carbon paper um, and then does needlepoint c- uh, covers for them um, and then charges a dollar for the books. It's, it's, it's totally it's mad. Amazing it's totally. story. <laughs> Um, she's amazing she types every single book is i just think it's incredible so i got to the wrong place i uh i ended up listening to an hour and a half of an agricultural podcast uh, (laughs) (laughs) about quality of soil (laughs) you're probably better you're probably better off for it but that's maybe more more helpful down the road yeah yeah so anyone listening is out in the field give it a listen i think there's only two episodes yet So the name of the podcast is I Wish I Wrote That Song. Uh, Jonas, what is the song you wish you wrote? I picked Yellow Roses by the band Heron from 1970, I think it came out. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So why that song? Well, I just, I mean, I kind of spoke to it a little bit earlier. There's just something. So my understanding is, is that they, they just put a bunch of mics in a field, like in a meadow. They were maybe at a studio and they, right? I think they were jamming outside and they're like, this sounds great out here. So let's, just, why don't we just bring the mics out here? Yeah, I'm sure the producer was just like, oh yeah, sure, <laughs> guys. <laughs> like the hours of the night world. There's just something really kind of charming about that, that, that I, um, I mean, the song is amazing. I think the song is a song could be played on any instrument and it's great it's a great song like if it was just one guy playing on the on well maybe not ukulele but on a guitar or something <laughs> like that like that would be captivating to me you know i could listen if, 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 if a guy sat up at an open mic and like played that on a guitar i'd be like whoa that's a, that's a great song so that's why i picked it ultimately but the the fact that it the production is just like so cool and unique and and kind of scrappy it's, I think you can really kind of picture the sun shining and like a light breeze in the meadow and these like hippies hanging out just who are great songwriters. just like really super, like the harmonies, the mix is super weird too. Like it's, there's just stuff panned super hard and yeah, it's real um, wide, isn't it? And just kind of, it's just weird, you know, like it's everything about it is wrong. Kind of, I feel like, and the harm, the harmonies are like, if you lean, if you listen too closely, you're kind of like, "Whoa, this is kind of shit." And and I think that that's what's really charming about it. It works as a whole. It's just this like really kind of a, a moment in time that feels special. Yeah, I think that's important in records. I I try to work as quickly as possible with people sometimes, so that we do keep some of that shitty. So yeah, like, how many's not quite right? It's like, look, let's just move on. Let's just double it, move on, and then like once you put it in there, you get that kind of big rich richer sound and just end up with something far more interesting 
I, I totally, I totally, I totally agree. I just, I just finished producing this record for this guy, Kyle Stevens, and, and it's getting mixed by Sandro Perry, who's like a really amazing Toronto uh, musician. He's got amazing records, um, but he's also a really great mix engineer. And when I bounced him all the stems for Kyle's record, like I didn't bounce them with any automation on it. So he ended up getting all the heads and tails of, you know, the vocal mics or like when I'd be on the Mellotron, you know, just like noodling around or I'd be on the piano at the end of a take and I would just be playing out. And he ended up getting all of that material and he'd used it. And we were listening back to his first round of mixes. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, listen to this crazy synth sound. Like, I don't even remember playing that. And he just like, it's all stuff that we had kind of cut out of the song in order for the songs to be more concise and like efficient. And Sandra brought all these sounds back in, these sounds that he wasn't even supposed to hear. But when I bounced the stems, I, I forgot I didn't clean up the heads and tails. So he had access to all these like mistakes that he left in. And it, they're the, my favorite moments on the record, bar none. Like it's like so much more fascinating with all that kind of scrappy stuff left in it. So that was a, a interesting learning moment for me. I think it's a real theme that's gone through a lot of the, the podcast episodes we've done is that in this kind of day of click tracks and whatever else, most artists like the bits best when it's just gone wrong. It's those little natural bits that have happened that get left in that creates ca- character in the music. It's a really common theme. And Well, I, I think, especially with this new record I have coming out, I use this like little thing called a Norns. It's like a little microcomputer that people write little programs for. It's all open source or like a free people share for free. And it kind of like takes my sound and like abstracts it. So I'll like, I'll have something running through that and then I'll be, and then I'll try and play piano. And it's almost like improvising with myself in a sense that I don't really know what it's going to throw at me. And therefore it makes me Mm. choose like, as opposed to just like going to, you know, from C to G, like I normally would do, like maybe all of a sudden I'm going to like, you know, like F sharp or something like that, because, and, and that's not something that like, I have this like pro, like in my head, I know exactly what I'm going to do. If I'm, if I go from C to G, it's like, but this abstracts my process and then I'll mute the computer, this, then I'll mute this thing in the mix and I'll have this like abstract piano thing. And then I'll compose to that. And, and I think that that's, you know, often in the studio trying to create little moments like that, that, you know, you put something in for someone to play off of and you remove that thing. And then this performance feels different because of that. And then you, and then you write to this performance. I think that that's kind of a useful, a useful tool. So when did you find the Yellow Roses song? Is it quite a new find for you or have you known it for quite a long time? No, I've, I've, I've had it for, oh, what, like over a decade, probably. My friend, Bri Webb, um, do you know that, do you know this guy, Bri Webb? He's, he's no. an amazing, he has a band called the Constantines pretty big yep, yep. Canadian rock band. He would, he'd put me onto some really, really, really cool music. And the rest of the record is nice, but it doesn't there for whatever reason, that song, I, I just always was like, Oh, this is like just one of those perfect songs. And, and I, I would imagine it's probably a cool song now. Like it's, I'm sure the Spotify algorithms maybe like latched onto it and people know it maybe, but I, I had kind of thought like, you know, it, this is a nice, uh, a nice show to hopefully like maybe put some people onto 
a new yeah. song. Do you know why they didn't kind of break? I don't know. They're like, they're, they got some Radio 1 play and they were doing really well. Like, They've been together quite a long time and they had a couple of songs and they got loads of Radio 1 play and it was going to break. They're like, yeah, we've made it now. But there was a vinyl shortage uh, <laughs> due, to, due to oil or something like that. So they, they could only get like so many records pressed. So they just didn't get to get to have the sales that they were going, they were, they were going to have. There's a vinyl shortage now as well, isn't there? Well, that's why, guys, that's why I'm just not as gigantic as I should be. <laughs> yeah. Any idea what the Yellow Roses is about? I don't. I mean, it seems to me there's. It's just like a. It's just this idyllic. It's just a very. For me, it just kind of paints a pastoral scene, and um, it's it's pretty simplistic. And, and and like, there's a little bit of cliche that maybe wasn't so cliche at the time, but in, in, I, I think there's like a lot of a lot of I'm guilty of it certainly of like trying to like you know write pastoral folk and some of that stuff. Like I was like, oh, the windmill, like this. You know, the the picture that it paints is like definitely like a place that like I want to kind of hang out in, and I think that that's like yeah. maybe that's all the song is supposed to do in a sense. But yeah, do you yeah. do you have a take on it, yeah. Clever? Uh, no, I tried. I went yeah. deep and tried to work it out, but I couldn't. Like I was like yellow roses. I sort of researched yellow roses to see what they were about, see if that was any kind of meaning. And yeah, but I don't think so. They're kind of used for friendship. Represent friendship. I don't know. I don't think it's. I don't think the actual rose has anything to do with the song. It's just some nice poet. I think it's some nice. It's it's just some nice poetry. I think it's pretty, pretty pastoral, pretty peaceful feeling. So I think what it was, I found a lyric page, read them, and at the bottom there was a comment like, "Oh, it's one of the most profound songs." So I was like, "Oh shit, what am I missing?" It's so <laughs> profound. What I'm missing. I'm like, I'm gonna have to spend like hours now delving into this song to try find the meaning and see why it's so profound. And and I couldn't. I think you're right. I think it is just a song that's very evocative. It just creates yeah. an atmosphere, which it seems to be fairly close to what they actually created it in, in a way. Well, exactly. I think that, yeah. that's why. It, that's why it works. I, I think this podcast is really cool because it it does. Uh, it does make you, you know, the, my list of songs. Like I said, I, I, I was, I really was going to cover a, a Mojave Three song. Um, uh, my God, this song title's escaping me right now. Uh, anyways, it'll come to me. Um, and there was a Frank Sinatra song off of this record, Watertown, that like, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of Sinatra, and I found this like Sinatra record years ago that I'd never seen before, and it's this like really kind of hidden gem record called Watertown. It's amazing. Frankie Valli wrote the music for it. Oh, wow. And it's, and it was recorded in 69. Supposedly it was like Sinatra's response to Woodstock, which is really hilarious, but, <laughs> um, cause it's, it, it sounds like Sinatra, but it's the only, it's the only record that, that Sinatra recorded that wasn't live off the floor with the orchestra, which to me, I was like, you can kind of hear it. Like you can kind of hear it in the performance. Like he, there's a hesitancy in some moments or like his, his kind of flow or his like, his phrasing isn't isn't as smooth as it is on those some of the like really famous recordings with like Nelson Riddle and stuff. But it's because the orchestra recorded, then he went back in and and uh, and then or like the band recorded. It's more like a band recording, but there is like a strings and stuff. And then he went back in and overdubbed his voice. It's the only time he ever did it. When I read that, I was like, 
oh, this record's unique because of that. But that means that like every single Sinatra song that you guys have ever heard on the radio or anything was him live with the orchestra. And that is just yeah. like, like all of those songs. Jesus, it's crazy. It's crazy. But that record, Watertown, man, it's incredible. It's a concept record. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a heavy record. It's like, it's definitely like worth seeking out. And you can find it on vinyl for like, you know, next to nothing. If you can, if you find a copy, it's like people don't really know about that record. And it's like, it's got some really good pop she songs on it. Says she's sleeping well. She says she's lost some weight. She says she's seen some shows She says the city's strange She says the weather's cold Yeah, it really makes you think about what makes a song important to you, and 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 then, yeah, and then if you flip the podcast name on its head, and you're kind of like, well, like, I mean, if I wish I wrote this song based strictly on receiving the royalties on the back end here, <laughs> yeah. like, what song would I be able to live with? You know. Like. So, Jonas, we're going to listen to you playing "Yellow Roses." Enjoy. Yeah. 
part of my selection for the for the specific song is the fact that like it's pre-social media, it's pre-internet, it's recorded in a very like you know strange way compared to like everything else that was happening at the time and everything that happens now. And that was my reason for picking this song is that there's something, you know, there's, you can't really learn that much about this band. And I've, I've, I've done some research and, you know, I've been on some like blogs that the artists kind of kept. I've seen them playing in pubs in the last like, you know, decade. And like, I mean, like I've watched some video of them playing. So it's like, it's not like this is like a cool band. And, and so there isn't much to learn about them. And I, and I thought that like, there, there's no, I have no reason to hate them yet. You know, there's no, I haven't seen a selfie or anything like that. So, so that was part of my thing was that like, I, I wanted to go in and track it, track the song in the same way that they kind of did and, and not be precious about it and have it be kind of sloppy and real and, and honest because, because I think that that's, that's what's unique now in a way, which is kind of lame. All I know is that it was recorded outside. You know, and and other than that, it's like you're really hard pressed to learn that much more about it. And I think it, that that means you have to fill in all the all the blanks with your own imagination, and and therefore you kind of become a participant, like a member of the band, or the audience has to play a role in in uh, in trying to articulate the art. And I think that that's really special. I guess outdoors is something you've explored as well, isn't it? Like using quite a bit of field recording and things like that. In the past. Yeah, I mean that's just being mesmerized by sound. I think um, and and place that that is important to me in my in all of my work is uh, is place and 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 how fortunate we are to stand in any place and just kind of take in the soundscape. And for me, I've always had a process of of making these field recordings as as a way of capturing memories. I, I find that. You know, if I if I listen back to uh, a field recording I made, I've got some great recordings over the years on tour, like the these church bells in Munster, and it was like a rainy morning, and we were loading up the van, and I made this recording, and it's like I can like put on that field recording, and I'm like right back there, and that is a beautiful memory for me. I was like touring Europe with my mm. band, and like I was like in love, and and Evening Hymns was like doing fairly well in Europe, and and I felt like the luckiest guy in the world, so working with those in my music, it gets to, uh, it kind of, it does the same thing. And, and especially cause a lot of the music I'm making is like highly personal. It, it just adds another layer. I, those are selfish decisions for me, like to, to put field recordings in on my records are, are, those are for, those moments are, are for me. There's something about listening to those field recordings that it's really can really kind of transport a listener to a place, and I, and that's the goal with all of these records is to like, mm. you know, take somebody out of their reality for 40 minutes or whatever, and and take them on a bit of a journey, you know, and and to tell a story, yeah. like not in a linear way, but just to to like put someone in an emotional state for 40 minutes. And so I find that field recordings they always do that for me. So uh, yeah, it's it's. It's 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 like an important an important part of our, of my craft for sure and 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 I I've just finished my third solo record 
of like uh, experimental kind of instrumental stuff. And those records are really very, very heavily based around field recordings. Like the first one was a record I made on Fogo Island in Newfoundland, and it's all field recordings from the island. And then I made one that came out last year in Big Sur, California, with my friend Edwin Huizinga. And that was like, we spent 10 days wandering around Big Sur with, you know, my field recording setup, just like making like underwater recordings and and stereo recordings and shotgun recordings and all these things, and then kind of improvising with those sounds. Because I was in lockdown and wasn't traveling, I just was going through my catalog of field recordings I've made over the last few years that I hadn't used in any projects and just like kind of traveling in a sense from my studio just because I could go back and like listen and go, oh, wow, this is neat. And then process it and, and improvise over it. And that was kind of my my COVID vacation, my, my COVID travel, I guess, in a sense, was like revisiting all these memories. It's like this record more than any of them is like feels really nostalgic to me because of that. Well, Jonas, thanks very much. Yeah. Uh, guys, this has been a pleasure. Nice to just yeah. to talk to people over the ocean and see faces and yeah, talk about thanks music. Thanks very much. So good. It's brilliant. And thanks for the version of the song. Such a good version. Thank you. Hey, I'm Jonas Panetta from the band Evening Hymns. And you've been listening to my episode of I Wish I Wrote That Song, featuring Yellow Roses by the band Heron. The hosts were Keith White and David Glover. If you've enjoyed the episode, please leave a review with your podcast provider, share it with your friends, play it around your dinner table with your family, just shout about it generally. Please keep your eyes and ears peeled for future episodes, and thanks so much for listening. I got the 67 Gibson J50 fairly recently, so then I was like, oh, I gotta put some guitar on it. And then this guitar is hilarious. It's, I got it for such a good deal because it smells so bad of cigarettes. <laughs> like, if you open the case in the studio, it, sound, it smells like I've just been chain, chain smoking in the studio for like a decade. Um, so I think it, like some people probably would not buy it. I happen to like love that that aspect of it that it's like got some cigarette charm. But uh... I've got this one guitar amp. It's from the sixties, a magnetone. And when you turn it on, it smells like ass. It smells so bad. <laughs> it just smells like a stinky ass. It's horrible, but it just sounds so good. Yeah, it's such a nightmare. Does yeah. that smell burn off though once it warms up and stuff? No, it just intensifies. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I warn people like it's, it's not me. When I turn this amp on, it's yeah, yeah. my like. You, yeah, make them go turn it on. Yeah, yeah. when you're not. When yeah, you're I'm not gonna in stay room. in this room. <laughs> I have a, I have a Fairchild clone. I have like one of those Stam Fairchild clones mm-hmm. in the studio, and. When it starts up, it just smells like weed in the control room. And I was like, clearly when these guys were soldering this thing, they were just like smoking weed and soldering. Cause it's like, I turn it on and it's like, I'm like, man, it just smells like someone's been smoking a joint in the studio. From your dad, you were doing fine. He said, you're still breaking hearts. I love to call you a friend of mine. To drag us back to the stars.